Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out, open them up to John chapter 3. The Gospel of John, the third chapter. That's where we're going to begin momentarily. We're going to notice a couple of verses there in just a moment that will set the stage for all the things that we want to talk about today. We're going to then work our way into 2 Corinthians, but I need to begin that in John chapter 3. Let's all be looking together in the Word of God. As you're turning there, let me join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this beautiful Lord's Day morning. I'm so glad that you've chose to be here. We do have a number of our folks who are traveling and worshiping in other places today. But I'm glad that you're here. We do have some guests with us and you're helping to fill in some of those empty spots. And We're grateful for your presence and hope that you're finding everything that we do today to be in harmony with the will of God. Today, of course, is Independence Day here in the United States and one of the great freedoms that we do enjoy as Christians and one of the reasons that we have reason to celebrate the 4th of July is the freedom to do what we're doing right now. And that is to worship the God of heaven and to practice our faith in a public way. And I, for one, am most grateful to live in a country that affords us that great freedom. With that said, let's read together in John chapter 3. This is verse 19, listening to the words of Jesus here in John 3 and in verse 19. Jesus says this, For this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. I think for the longest time that Christians living here in America have had a hard time really relating to those verses. Maybe people who lived in the first century Roman Empire could relate to those verses. Or maybe people who live in communist countries or areas of the world where they have really oppressive governments and lots of liberal agendas. Maybe they could understand, but... Those verses just don't really seem to relate to us very much. I mean, what's this business of darkness hates the light? That's just, I don't know, that's just not something we feel like we've really had to experience. I mean, after all, we're living here in the Bible Belt. They don't call it the Bible Belt because people are out burning their Bibles. No, for a long time, Christians have known a level of acceptance in this country. In fact, for the longest time, if you did not espouse Christian beliefs, well... Well, you were the weird one. You were the odd person out. And so as a result, many of us for a long time, we've looked at passages like John 3, 19 and 20, and we've thought, darkness hates the light. It just really doesn't describe us and the world that we live in. But that's changing, isn't it? In fact, that's changing very rapidly. We have gone from a society that was once very faith-friendly to a society that became kind of almost, I don't know, faith neutral. Maybe that's the term that I would use. People who would say, yeah, it's fine to be religious. You just kind of keep that to yourself. Don't go shoving that on me. We don't need to see the Ten Commandments posted on the courthouse lawn. To now we are becoming a society that is openly being hostile to people of faith. For example, in 2019, CNN ran a story in which they criticized people who after a tragedy would offer prayers on behalf of the victims. Really? Criticizing people who pray? It's bad now to pray for people? Apparently so. Just last week, a musician named Matthew West, he was shamed into deleting a music video that he had posted just a few days prior. 
In that music video, he had sang a song in which he had encouraged his daughters to dress modestly. Social media had a terrible outcry about that and said, you need to take that down. You're pressing this oppressive purity culture. It's awful. He deleted the video. Really? It's bad now for parents to encourage their own children to dress modestly? Unfortunately, yes. That is very much the case of the society in which we live and we're beginning to feel it, aren't we? We're beginning to feel more and more each day the reality of John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 that those who love the darkness hate the light. Can we talk about that this morning? Can we spend just a few minutes trying to understand the darkness? Try and get a handle on why it is that people who live in darkness, why do they feel the way that they do toward those of us who are trying to live in the light? Maybe instead of you and I just kind of you know, having an immediate reaction where we complain or maybe we even retaliate in hostility toward the hostility that we're experiencing, maybe what we need to do is we need to just stop. And we need to examine why it is that that hostility exists. What is it that is making us so different and so off-putting to the people in this world? Well, to help us out a little bit and maybe try to put some of that into perspective, I'm going to invite you to be finding 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes some things here that, that I find to be just very, very helpful and very, very instructive for why the darkness hates the light. And as Paul talks about that, he's actually going to help us understand as well what we need to do and who we need to be as we live in the middle of this dark, dark world. In 2 Corinthians 5, can we actually get a little bit of context? Would you back up to chapter 4? In chapter 4, you'll see that Paul's already been talking about oppression and enduring hostility. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, For this light momentary affliction, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Chapter 5 verse 1 now, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this physical body, in this world, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You see, this passage is talking about enduring hardship and hostility. And what Paul says is he says that just increases our desire even more to leave this place and go and be in heaven. What Paul does though in the next several verses is Paul actually talks about why it is that we are recipients of that hostility. Okay, we're not in heaven yet. We're still here. And so we need to understand about the here and the now. We need to understand why things are as they are and then figure out how we're supposed to live in the middle of all of that. And so Paul begins that by talking about, first of all, in verses 9, 10, and 11, about how the darkness hates the light because, because we have a very different mission than the world does. I'm reading here in verse 9. There Paul says, verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now I want to be very careful here with this idea of 
knowing something. We know something that they don't know because I don't want that to become a license for us to be obnoxious. But it is true. It is true that we do know some things that people in this world do not know and do not seem to care to know. We know, for example, verse 10. We know the reality of judgment day. That there is coming a day of accounting and reckoning. Which is why verse 9, we are living our lives to please Him. We are living in preparation of that great day. And furthermore, verse 11, it is why we are persuading others to get prepared for that day. And guess what? That's where the rub comes in. That persuasion stuff that we do, it is not always welcome in our society today. Telling people about sin, admonishing people to repent, telling people about a day of judgment that is to come, that's just not warmly embraced in our society today. Having to go to someone and to say, I'm sorry, but but that's wrong, that is sinful. Or to tell someone, no, you were not made that way. It's not merely an alternative lifestyle choice. And furthermore, to tell someone, you know what, there is such a thing as absolute moral truth, that just ends up clashing with a world that regularly says says just the opposite. Our world says things like, well, I'm just living my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. Or, you know, hey, I've got to do what makes me happy. My happiness is what's most important. Or maybe best of all, don't you judge me. Those are the mantras that the world is living by, which means that the message that we bring to them, it's just not always going to be well received. Now, I want to say again, that's certainly not an excuse for us to just be intentionally offensive or harsh or abrasive. We need to think about that golden rule in Matthew 7. We need to think about the admonitions that Paul gives in First Peter. Excuse me, Peter gives in First Peter three, verse fifteen, when he talks there about as you give a defense, you need to do that with gentleness, do that with respect. But at the end of the day, our job, our mission, is to persuade people of their need for the gospel of Christ. In fact, not only are we looking for opportunities to do that persuading, we're trying to create opportunities to do that per- persuading. We do that in our conversations, in our speech. We do that even as well in our example, in the choices that we make. I don't don't go watch movies like that. I, I don't go and participate in activities like that. In every way that we possibly can. We're trying to do all that we can to please the Lord, verse 9. At the very same time, we're trying to persuade others to do that very same thing. And you know what? Sometimes... Sometimes that does gain us an honest hearing. Sometimes people are interested in that. And so it does gain us a hearing. But you know what? Many other times, what it gains us is hatred and animosity. Because not everybody wants to make it their aim to please the Lord and prepare for judgment. Which is why Paul goes on to say in verses 14 and 15 that the reason the darkness hates the light is because because we have a very different kind of faith. In verse 14, Paul says there, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Look at the end of verse 15, And he was raised. You know, it's quite common to hear people say things today like, Well, you 
You just got to have faith. You got to believe. Everybody's got to believe in something. And what that means for many people is it means, well, you just believe in whatever you want to believe in. Maybe that means believing in yourself or believing in the power of positive thinking or believing in your dreams. Why, for many people, faith is, well, it's kind of the equivalent of, well, it's kind of the equivalent of a lollipop. Yeah, everybody needs a lollipop. Everybody likes lollipops. And whenever things seem to be going kind of bad and going kind of, kind of disheartening, well, what you do is you just pull your lollipop out and you just, just take a lick of your lollipop. And when you take a lick of your lollipop, I mean things just get considerably better, don't they? Life just improves. I've got my lollipop here. And that's kind of how people in the world treat faith. It's just that lollipop. It's something that I pull out and I use to make me feel better. And I'm going through difficult times. I'm going through things that I don't like. I pull that out and it really just kind of helps me. Not surprisingly, that is the very reason that people say things like, I just can't believe, I can't have faith in a God who would condemn people who would consign people and punish people in everlasting destruction in hell. I can't believe that because, well, because that doesn't make me feel good. That's not a flavor of lollipop that I prefer to enjoy. I don't want that. It's gross. But of course, the faith of Christianity is very, very different. Look again at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, But we have concluded this. That is, we've examined the evidence... And we've drawn a conclusion. We have come to believe that Jesus died, He was buried, and that He rose from the dead. We have faith in a real person and in real historical events. Not a fable. Not a fairy tale. It's not some hallucination. We don't believe that because we've got nothing better to do or because it just kind of helps us feel better about ourselves so that we can cope with life. No. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because it is true. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes that faith, it doesn't make us feel very good. Sometimes having that faith, it, it remodels us. It forces us to make some hard and difficult changes in our lives. That kind of faith sometimes causes us to have to endure some suffering and some difficulty and some problems and trials of various kinds. And so you see, we don't have this faith because we just kind of like it or it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. No, we believe it because it is true. And so as a result, verse 14, it controls us. And I think that very much bothers those who are in darkness. To see people who have rock-solid convictions as we do, to see people who are not just easily swayed by the ever-changing winds of popular opinion, to see people as well who are unashamedly living out that faith, living out what they believe in their heart, that really rubs them raw. In fact, that's what Paul says next, that the darkness hates the light because thirdly, we just have an entirely different way of living. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, we're told there that Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for Him who for their sake died and was raised. In many ways, this mirrors that great verse that Paul writes in Galatians 2 and in verse 20, when he says there, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know that passage, don't you? What's the gist of that verse? What's the gist of this verse in in 2 Corinthians 5? The gist is that Christians, we live for Christ instead of living for ourselves. Our world, on the other hand, does just the opposite, don't they? Our world is all about living for self. That is very evident. That's very evident in the choices that they make, the things that they involve themselves in. That's very evident in the fact that they are involved in sin, which at the very root of that is selfishness, doing what I want, doing what makes me feel good. Our culture worships at the altar of self. Can I let you in on a little secret? That's just not a very great way to live. It's not. It's not. It's not a great reason to get up in the morning, to get up to celebrate myself, finding one more thing to gratify my own selfish desires. That's just not a very sustainable life purpose. And the reason that I say that is because we were made for more than just that. We were made for more than self. We were made for God. We were made to glorify our Creator. We were made to give honor and worship and service to Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed us from this wretched and sinful world. We were made for more. And I'll tell you, when we live with heavenly goals and heavenly aspirations, things that go beyond just the temporal here and the now, that just serves to expose the folly and the vanity and the emptiness of those who live their lives in the darkness. And you know what? They hate that. They do. They absolutely hate it. They hate that we believe that there is more to this life than just this life. And maybe that's because fourthly, fourthly, we just have a completely different measuring stick. We we measure things differently in life. Verse 16 Verse 16, Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. That very much, verse 16, that's a very radical statement. Because our world runs entirely on judging according to the flesh. Our world judges on standards like, Who's the prettiest? Who's the best looking? Who's got the most money? Who has the biggest house? Who drives the flashiest car? Who's got the most followers on social media? Who's the most famous? Who has the most power? Who has the most political clout? Our world's value system is all about the external. Success and greatness in the world's eyes, it's measured by appearances, by the flesh. In fact, Madison Avenue exists to just crank out more and more commercials to try and convince you and I that something is wrong, something is missing from your life, from your flesh. That's why you need to buy this product. That's why you need to experience this thing. That's why you need to go to this place. Why? So that you can truly be somebody. Can I just be candid about that? Much of the measuring stick that our society uses, it really just comes down to who's the sexiest. Who's the sexiest? Our culture measures everything with the ruler of sex. Looking sexy, dressing sexy, acting sexy, buying sexy clothes, taking sexy pictures, being a sexy person. Christians don't play that game. We don't. 
Paul says that's not how we measure anything. That's not how we view life. We used to view life that way, but now, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. Instead of focusing on all that superficial nonsense, instead of measuring everything by external things, we evaluate things from Jesus' point of view. Would you look at verse 12? Back up in verse 12, Paul says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer to those, excuse me, answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. There it is. As Christians, what we're looking for is the inside. We're looking for character. We care about what's on the heart. We're not interested in the outside frivolous value systems that our world uses. And unfortunately, unfortunately, those differing value systems just cause more friction between the darkness and the light. Which then Paul just kind of takes and summarizes all of this in verse 17 when he says the reason we are hated is because we have a whole new life. Verse 17, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think much of the hostility that the world has toward Christians is the fact that we have given up that old life. We've traded it in for something new, something better, something that the world does not have. Those old habits that we used to have, that old speech that we used to talk with, that old way of thinking, the old way that we used to dress, the old attitudes that we used to have, sometimes even the old friends that we used to run around with, that stuff's been put away. And you know what? That makes the world mad. It does. Because many of the things that we've put away are the very things that they still embrace. Which is why it is not uncommon for Christians to get ridiculed and mocked with taunts of, oh, you just think you're better than us. That's what this is. You just think you're too good to hang out with and run around with us anymore. Oh, I know what it is. You just think you're superior to all of us lowly sinners, don't you? Nope. Nope. Don't think that I'm better than anybody. Don't think that I'm superior in any way. I'm just new. No, I've been recreated in Christ Jesus so that my outlook on life, my approach to life, my, pri excuse me, my priorities in life, my very purpose in life, it has been renewed. I've been delivered out of the domain of darkness and I've been transferred into His marvelous light. And what that means is, is that means that we who walk in the light, we will always find ourselves at odds with the rest of this world. In fact, as 2 Corinthians 5 bears out, they just don't get us. We make them uncomfortable. We make them unsettled. And sometimes, sometimes that unsettledness can be a good thing because it can cause a person to evaluate and to think and to ask questions and to inquire more. And as they begin to be drawn closer and closer to the light, that's the goal, isn't it? But I'll tell you, most other times, most other times we need to be prepared for the reality of what Jesus taught in John 3. And that is that those who love the darkness hate the light 
and refuse to come to it, lest their works be exposed. Now, I think all of that is very helpful. It kind of puts us into the mind of those who are living in sin, those who are under the dominion of darkness. We need to understand about that because it helps us understand what our responsibilities are. With that understanding though, can I draw out two very important admonitions as we try to be the light and as we try to navigate our way through this dark, dark world? First and foremost, I want to say to you brothers and sisters that the answer to this hostility that we feel is not for us to be weirder than we have to be. Yes, it is true that we are different. I've just cataloged five different ways in which we are different from the world. And yes, we are going to be misunderstood. And yes, the world is going to think that we are crazy. That is never going to change. However, it seems that some Christians almost go out of their way to feed the perception that we're strange. That we violate social norms and courtesies. That we just make it difficult for people to be around us or to have anything to do with us. Can I give you an example of that? A couple of years ago in England, there was a young man who got on a commuter train. And in the middle of that train ride, he stood up. And he was wearing a dark black backpack. And very suddenly, after standing up, he began addressing everyone on that train car in a loud voice. He began saying, fornication is sinful and you need to repent. Homosexuality is sinful. You need to repent. Then he began to talk about death and about judgment and about being prepared to die. What do you think people on that car were thinking? What do you think their response was? Those people on that train freaked out. There were people who actually tried to jump off of a moving train. And why? Because they were terrified. In a day and time when people are scared to death of extremists and terrorists, was this really a well thought out plan by this young man? When the police came and they found that no one was actually hurt and that there was no bomb inside the young man's backpack, And as they began talking to all the different witnesses, they came to realize that, well, the young man, he never actually made any kind of threats. The whole debacle was able to settle down, but but that young man, that young man did some damage. That young man did not do any favors for the kingdom of God or for the people of God. All that did was just make people even more uncomfortable with Christianity. It just reinforced the stereotype that Christians are a bunch of nut jobs. And while I am certain that that young man had very good intentions, listen, I'm all for evangelism, it it wasn't the right place. It wasn't the right time, and it sure wasn't the right method. It just made the darkness hate the light even more. Look with me in Matthew 10. In Matthew the 10th chapter, listen to Jesus here. As Jesus talks to us about our role and about our place in the midst of a hostile world, He says in Matthew chapter 10, I'm reading in verse 16, In Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 16, Jesus says there, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents 
and harmless as doves. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're just not very wise. We just don't use wisdom in our dealings with the world. We need to understand that there will be plenty of opportunities for us to appear different. There will be plenty of occasions where we can stand up and stand out. But that means that there is no reason for us to go drawing unnecessary attention to ourselves by being rude or shocking or frightening or weird or maybe even just plain dumb. What we need to do is exercise wisdom as we walk in the light. Which then leads to this second important admonition. Because what's the other extreme that we often run to? As we try to deal with the darkness, okay, some Christians just fully embrace that and man, we're just going to just make people just really weird out and make them really, really hate us. What do other folks do? Well, what other Christians try to do sometimes in an attempt to try to curb some of that hatred is they decide that the way that we'll offset, offset that is we'll kind of run over here to this extreme and we'll just be a little bit worldly. We'll just be a little like them. Just kind of dip my toes over here in the darkness. Going to cozy up as close to sin so that we will be accepted, you know, without actually falling headlong into that darkness and worldly lifestyle. And so what do we do? Well, we begin by making small compromises. And then we begin to hide our Christianity in the closet. And we try to make the world think that we're basically just like them and that, hey, look, we can all just get along. You still got Matthew 10 open? Look at verse 16 again. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep and wolves ain't ever going to get along. Just like light and dark ain't ever going to coexist, they are completely opposed to one another. And there are a gazillion verses in the New Testament that utterly demolish this thinking that we can somehow have a little bit of worldliness and yet still remain in the light. I'm thinking, for example, about James 1, verse 27. I know the auditorium class has been studying on Sunday mornings from the, the epistle of James. We're told in James 1, 27 that one of the marks of pure and undefiled religion is what? It's keeping oneself unstained from the world. We cannot change who and what we are in order to be accepted by the world. Our calling, brothers and sisters, is to persuade the world to change who and what they are in order for them to be accepted ultimately by the Lord. We are to be in this world, but not of this world. As one writer observed, ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink whenever that water gets in them. And if you and I ever convince ourselves that the way to deal with the hatred of this world is to just let a little bit of the world in us, then we will be sunk and it will be devastating. One final passage. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter the fourth chapter... As Peter has been dealing with some of the former manner of life, the things that we have given up, he talks about the way of the Gentiles, which just is talking about the way of the world, people who don't care about God. He then says in verse 4, considering that we've given all that up, verse 4, with respect to this, they, the world, they are surprised when you do not join them in that same flood of debauchery, and so they malign you. 
They insult you. They slander you. They hate you. You know, maybe it is true that passages like this, maybe they did sort of lose their punch for a while. Because for, yes, for a period of time, Christians kind of were able to fit in in American society. But I think we're starting to understand the truth of these passages more and more now, aren't we? Because more and more we are encountering that hostility. More and more those who are of the darkness are making their hatred known of those who are in the light. And more and more they malign us. But you know what that means? That just means that more and more you and I must be committed to brightly shining the light of Christ and holding forth the word of truth, the very light that illuminates the path for us to get from here to home. Perhaps there's somebody here this morning who has yet to step into the light. Maybe it is that the devil has blinded you from seeing the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 4. If you've paid attention at all this morning, though, then you need to know that that, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be on that side of the equation. Today's the day to rip the blindfold off and to come to Jesus, the one who is the very light of the world. If you are ready to turn away from sin and darkness, that's called repentance, then we are most ready to baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. Can we help somebody today to become a Christian? It may be that you are a Christian, but you've not been walking in the light. And as a result, your fellowship with Jesus has been interrupted. You've been trying to maybe kind of get the best of both worlds, a little bit in the light and a little bit in the darkness. 1 John 1 talks about how that just doesn't work. But there's a fix for that. That if we'll confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brother or sister, can we help you in that confession? Can we help you in that prayer? Can we help you to serve the Lord in a better way? Judgment Day most certainly is coming. And so we do persuade people to get prepared for that day. And whatever we can help somebody to do to get in the light, to be in the light, and to stay in the light, then we sing this song to your encouragement. Won't you come and make your wishes known? Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.